Well, last week we were blessed to hear Steve preach on the Holy Spirit. And Steve, I just wanted you to know how handy that came in this week around our house. We, it's been a busy week for, for me. I, I drove to Henderson, Nevada on Tuesday for a meeting of the examining chaplains for the diocese, those of us that help administer the uh, ordination exams. And I drove home from Henderson on Thursday, and then we turned around on Friday morning and drove as a family to Phoenix, Arizona for the ordination of Matt Rucker, one of my former students who some of you may remember. Um, And then we drove home last night. And we were coming through the Palm Springs, you know, Indian Wells area, and the wind, the headwind was incredible. Uh, Just trying to maintain speed, even on cruise control, and trying to just not weave everywhere. And, you know, but when you're going 80 miles an hour, you don't tend to notice things. But when we got off at Azusa Street from the 60 to come over the hill, we noticed that our car was no longer downshifting at all. So it would come to a stop, right? I mean, we could come to a stop and then the tachometer would go down, but the moment we accelerated, it just accelerated and accelerated and wouldn't shift. And so I turned the radio off because I wanted to make sure that's what it was doing and to hear it. And I said, oh no, something's wrong with the car. And I I don't remember if it was Nathaniel or Brendan, but without missing a beat, they said, well, Steve says we should pray for it. So sure enough, I think we all offered up the Steve Barber pray for your car. And guess what? This morning, it works. It is back to normal. And uh, so clearly it needed a break. And I would have gone to a mechanic. But Steve told us, pray for your vehicle. So we did. And that is a true story. So we were able to hear last week about how the Holy Spirit answers our prayers. And uh, which should embolden us to pray for anything. And then we should keep our ears open to listen well to the Spirit. And then today we come to Holy Trinity Sunday, such a fitting conclusion in many ways to even kind of the long season, if you will, that began back in Advent when we anticipated the coming of Jesus and then we celebrated the coming of Jesus and then we celebrated that he was the light of the world to all the nations and and then entered into the 40 days of preparation for his death. And then the anticipation and then celebration of his resurrection and then the remembrance of his ministry throughout Eastertide until his ascension, then followed by Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. And then today, as if to put a bow on this beautiful liturgical package, it's Holy Trinity Sunday. What this mostly means among priests, at least priests in the social media world, is you immediately start making jokes about all the bad analogies that are going to be offered on Trinity Sunday as a way to try to describe the Trinity. Well, I'm not going to offer any analogy to try to describe the Trinity because it's not just, today is not just about the Trinity's relationships between the persons, though there is a correct answer to that question. What is the relationship of the Father to the Son? Well, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. And what is the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son? He proceeds from the Father and the Son. So we know, because it's very ancient practice to subscribe and to confess that theology, and we say it in our creed every week. And uh, we won't say it this week in that way, because we're not using the Nicene Creed, but we confess those relations every week. So even though we might not understand what it means to have this word begottenness, which, which um, has the connotation of birth, coupled with the word eternal, eternally, which has the connotation of not ever been born, right? That we can't understand the mystery. We know about the relationships of the persons. You know about the relationship because you confess it 
every week. And no matter how much I talked about that tonight, I probably wouldn't do a better job necessarily explicating it other than maybe breaking it down a bit. But for that, I could send you to Gregory of Nazianzus' theological orations. You can read those. And he will tell, talk all about those things in a way that is, I think, as, in as much as we can understand it, understandable. And then we ultimately confess it's a mystery. We don't understand how God is three persons, yet one God. But today is not just about that. It's also about our response to the reality of the Trinity. See, the Trinity is not just three persons in one God, and that's nice to know, but it, there's a response to that that's not just intellectual. There's a response to that that's not just, well, this is something we can confess. No, we should ask ourselves, in light of the three and one, what should our response to that reality be? In other words, where does the rubber meet the road when it comes to the Trinity? So today I'm going to talk about that, and I'm sorry to disappoint you, Jack, but that's what I've chosen, and so I'm going to talk about that, and so I'm going to use tonight's text to do that, because we have this beautiful reading from Isaiah, which is very familiar to us, I imagine, right? The beautiful Isaiah 6 passage, and it often gets preached on um, in the context of hearing God's call on a person's life, right, and throwing yourself down in worship of this God, and then responding to that God's invitation, if you will, to get involved with the work that he's doing. And so Isaiah the prophet got involved with the work that God was doing in his attempt to, to reestablish the holiness and the obedience of the people of Israel. But it started with Isaiah that he needed to be cleansed. He needed to be made ready for this service. But again, the famous line, perhaps, beyond the holy, holy, holy part is, here I am, send me the prophet Isaiah says. And so that, I think, is the first way to think about what do we reflect on in light of the Trinity. That when we think about the Trinity, when we think about our God, his holiness, his, his unity between the persons, the, the work that he has done on our behalf, the, the fact that he even created the world, the fact that he sustains the world, right? So even if we take it out of the soteriological, the salvation categories, right? If we take it out of that, which feels a little, little more self-serving to think, what has God done for me? But to think like, no, God created the world. And then he created people to inhabit that world, and he made it beautiful, and he made it special, and, and we've mucked it up, but that's okay because, that's not okay, but I mean, God's in the business of making it right again. So in that sense, it's okay, right? Oh, happy fall, and so that God can show himself faithful to us. And so Isaiah, perhaps understanding all that, throws himself before this Trinitarian God, and says, here I am, send me. And again, I wonder, like, even if how we think about that or how we do that, even just dispositionally each day of our life, right? So we think of this as like something radical. When I was at Matt's ordination on Friday night, Matt's in our diocese, right? That's the, that's the Arizona deanery. So it was Bishop Keith was there. Uh, Matt started by only nine years ago. He just finished seminary. He's getting ordained, transitional diaconate. And there he was laying down on the ground like you do when you're ordained as a deacon, right? It's kind of like on a Good Friday posture. You're on the ground. You're spread out like a cross. And, and we're singing, come Holy Spirit, um, during that time. And yes, it's very obvious there. Matt has offered himself to the church. And the church is accepting that offering. God is accepting that offering. And we're asking the Holy Spirit to come down and, and make him different. 
after that ordination than he was before that ordination. And so we see those kind of radical surrenders to God. We, we know those stories. If we follow the liturgical calendar, mostly what you're encountering day in and day out are the stories, right, of people who have radically given themselves to God and became saints. But of course, we're saints as well. But I mean, how do we think about the way in which we offer ourselves to God each and every day? Right? I'm happy to get out of bed within a few minutes of the alarm going off. That's a success for me. Right? When, when Christine and I adjusted our, our schedules so that we would get up and exercise in the morning, and, and uh, the irony here is I, I've been a night person forever, and now I've been turned into a morning person. Brendan noticed, like, you finally did it, Mom. Dad's like you. It's like 9.30, and Dad's like, it's bedtime. i got to go to bed. I'm so tired. I'm exhausted, right? But when the alarm goes off at 6.15, I'm happy to think, like, i got to get out of the bed in the next few minutes, right? And then once, once I'm up, I'm like, all right, I'm up. I'm ready to go. And that sometimes feels like a success. But, but how do I think about, I'm not just up, but when I think about being ready to go, how am I responding to the work of God in me? Right? The fact that I'm alive to get up that morning. The fact that even though I may have exercised a little too hard the day before, did some yard work, so I'm feeling it within my bones and in my muscles, how am I giving myself over? Again, in those daily ways of offering ourselves to God, responding to God. Right? Not just in the big ways when God calls us to something major in life, but in all the small daily ways. And so the first thing that we should think about when it comes to responding to the Trinity is a self-offering, giving ourselves back to the God who has given himself to us, both in the person of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we wake up and as we reflect upon this new day, and one of the first things I do, that's why I love living in California, is I open my windows because I want to hear the birds. Right? I like to hear the birds. If I'm going to be up at that time of the morning, I want to hear the birds. And someone over in the neighborhood I run in has a rooster. And so I hear the rooster most mornings, and I think, like, I'm so glad I don't live next to those people, behind those people, but, man, I love hearing that rooster when I get to a certain part of my run. Right? So do we think about what that means? That this is God's world. He made it. He sustains it. Life is a gift. It's my gift to be up that day and to serve him and to try to give myself back to him. And to do it in a way that like Isaiah has modeled for us, right? That God, you are holy and great and awesome and I just give myself to you. Here I am. Use me. Take me. Do something with me. And then staying in that posture to make ourselves available when God calls us. Again, not just to the big things, but to those small things. So in the way in which God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have given themselves to us, we respond by offering ourselves back. And again, I want to be, you to think about intentionally, how do you do this? How do we do this? You know, what, it, what is it going to look like for each of us to offer ourselves back in a tangible way, in a way that, that God sees it? Not just, okay, i got to get out of bed and go to this job that I don't love. Just another day but instead to see each day as the gift that it is and the awesome response we can give back to God. And then as we move into John, the Gospel of John, of course, this other well-known passage about Nicodemus, right? This conversation with this teacher of the law who should know, he should know things that he doesn't seem to know. And, and Jesus just patiently 
patiently, but yet, but clearly, right? Truly, truly, which is echoed multiple times, like patiently yet clearly saying like, look, that which is flesh is flesh, but that which is of the spirit is of the spirit. I'm not talking about crawling back into your mother's womb and being born again. I am talking about a spiritual rebirth, Nicodemus. Jesus is talking to him about the way in which we, we get true life, right? Life in the spirit. For whoever believes in him, Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. Right? So not only should we say, here I am, send me, but we need to respond with, I believe in you, God. That is why I'm offering myself to you. I believe in who you are. I believe that you're the God that created everything. You're the God who sustains everything. You're the God who gives me life. You're the God who sustains my life. You're the God who makes my life worth living. And I believe. And even though I might be having a season of doubt, I believe. I'm trusting God. I want to believe in you. And so that is also our response. It's one of belief. I mean, I make a living by asking questions and talking about the answers, the possible answers, right? That is perfectly fine. We, we should and, and must be asking theological questions with regularity. We should try to understand the faith at every opportunity we get. You should throw yourself into the study of this God who cares so much for us that he sent his son, his only begotten son, Right? So that the world wouldn't be condemned, but instead it would be saved, that we would have the opportunity to be in relationship with him. We should know that. We should understand it. We should worship that God who has done that with our mind and with our words and our actions and our whole being. Again, back around to Isaiah, giving ourselves in worship and in life back to God. And it all starts with our belief in this person that we confess to be, again, three persons in one. I mean, this, this conversation with Nicodemus is, is not just a trite conversation. It's not a cute story to give us a good verse so that that rainbow wig-wearing guy back in the day could go to baseball games with his John 3.16 sign. I don't know if you remember him, but he was everywhere back in the 80s and maybe 70s, right? It's not just so that we have this verse to kind of quote at people. No, instead, I mean, this is a life or death conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And we need to see ourselves in that conversation. And we need to say to ourselves, like, this is a spiritual thing. My belief is all about my salvation, that I won't perish, but I'll have eternal life. This matters. And so we need to believe in this God. And again, we need to do that with our lives and in our worship. Again, an imitation of Isaiah. And then finally, in Romans 8, so much we could say about all of these passages, but in Romans 8, I just wanted to focus on one thing, but not a small thing. That another way that we respond to the Trinity, not just with offering ourselves, here I am, send me, not only with believing in him, but through um, the fact that we have been delivered from obedience to the flesh, we now get to choose, if we will, obedience to God in the Spirit. Paul is saying here, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Jesus took care of that. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Right? So flesh here is, is Paul's way of not just talking about materiality, but it's his way of talking about living sinfully, of living with the, of not, Jesus is not our master, not God is our master, but Satan is our master, right? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And it's that phrase, if you put to death 
it's, it's our word mortification. That that is our response to this reality of what God has done, what the Trinity has done. The Father in sending his Son, and then the Son ascending to the Father, but giving us the gift of his Holy Spirit, makes it possible for us to live in the Spirit. Now, we can still freely choose to live in the flesh. God has not taken our free will and gotten rid of it. No, we can still choose to live in the flesh, but we don't have to. Instead, we need to put to death. We need to mortify that tendency within us. And this mortification, it's, it's an action taken by Christians to suppress the law of sin that seeks to gain the mastery over our lives. That's what it means to, to put to death the deeds of the body, that, that we, we do things to suppress, again, that law of sin that wants to come in and take over. Right? We focus on this in particular during Lent. But it would be wrong to think that's the only time we need to focus on these things. That we, again, we take these actions in order to live in the spirit because we are spiritual people. And this mortification requires continual exertion over time. Right? We don't just get it right. You don't come to faith, offer yourself to God, the Trinity, and then everything is smooth sailing from there. I don't even have to, I mean, you know that. We know that's not true. We take the long view of this road, and it requires continual exertion over time. But we exert ourselves, we mortify ourselves in light of the finished work of Christ. If we do it in any other way, we would be functional Pelagians. In other words, we would be reaching within ourselves thinking that we're good enough to do that work. No, instead, we do that in light of the finished work of Jesus and empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So if you're put off by the thought that mortification requires us to do something, get over it because we do it in light of the finished work of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not saving ourselves. We are trying to be saved and to grow into the holiness that is ours by promise. In Luther's words, we're trying to go from alien righteousness that has been imputed to us to actual righteousness. We should be holier, more holy tomorrow than we were today. Should be. But again, we can make decisions to take a couple steps backwards. Again, God has not removed that ability from us to to freely choose. But again, as we exert ourselves, as we put to death the deeds of the body in light of the work of Jesus Christ, in light of the work of the gifting of the Spirit, Paul goes on to say, led by the Spirit of God, we are sons and daughters of God. For if you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit as adoptions, as adoption as sons and daughters. And then Paul finishes by saying, guess what? This exertion, this mortification, it's a kind of suffering. That we suffer with Jesus in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this is not going to be easy, necessarily. This is not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But yet in the long run, our job, our responsibility, our charge, if you will, is not to be slaves, but to be spirit-filled followers and servants of God. Why? Because Jesus has made that possible. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to do that. So in one sense, mortification is a kind of suffering, Paul says. But perhaps in another way, it's not a suffering at all. It's a privilege. 
right? When, when I decided, I think I told this story in another sermon, when I decided I needed to get in shape, right, back in February, and I was out of shape, let me tell you, when I decided to get in shape, I was sore for months. Matter of fact, this week is kind of the first week where I haven't really been feeling all that sore. I mean, I have been sore. I have been in pain that I had, didn't know, in places I didn't know existed, in ways that I did not like and do not like. But yet I love the good that has come from it. I love the good that I've lost some weight, that I feel better, that I have more energy, at least until about 9.30 at night. Then I'm just exhausted, right? I'm actually happy that I've converted myself to be more of a morning person. I'm up at the same time as Christine. I'm enjoying the sunrise, or at least as it continues to rise, right? And so that suffering pays off. Yes, it hurts, but there's, a, there's something there that's worth going through. And is not our own putting to death the deeds of the body the same? Though it may hurt, that it may feel like suffering, the good that comes from it, the conformity that we will achieve to, being walk, to walk in likeness of Jesus Christ is worth it. So again, in light of the Trinity, in light of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who we confess to this evening and who we worship this evening, we need to live in light of that by offering ourselves intentionally to God. And I would say regularly and daily, maybe even more regularly than daily. But we also need to believe in this God. We need to do more than just confess him, but believe that there's something at stake. And that is ultimately death or life. And then finally, we need to realize that our response to the work of the Trinity is to put to death the deeds of the body. It's to become more holy, to grow in our Christ-likeness, to to become more spirit-filled followers of God. And so let us do that in the days, weeks, months ahead, realizing that, that God has given us all that we need to do that. He's empowered us by his spirit. He's given us the example of his son. And he is interested each and every day in making it possible for us to live in light of the Trinity and to worship in light of the Trinity. So we give God thanks this evening for the Trinity, for the work that God has done for us. And may our response be, one of a self-offering back to him, belief in who he is, and putting to death those works of the flesh in us so that we can live more and more in light of the Trinity. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.